Welcome to The Wonder, exploring perspectives, rituals, and observances of modern naturalistic, earth-revering, pagan religious paths. Here are your hosts, Yucca and Mark. Welcome back to The Wonder, science-based paganism. I'm Mark, one of your hosts. And I'm Yucca. And today we have a really exciting episode. We have an interview with a member of the Atheopagan Society Council, Michael, who is joining us today and is going to tell us about his journey and what this community means to him and his vision for the future and all kinds of cool stuff. So welcome, Michael. Well, thank you very much for having me. Delighted to have you here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah. No, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we start with the who are you? Right? What's what's your journey been to get here? Gosh, well, I kind of have to start at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so my name's Michael and you know I've I start sometimes I go by Mihal, which is my Irish the Irish version of my name. And that's something I've been using more as I've been involved in the pagan community. My parents are both Irish and they moved to the United States in their early 80s because my dad got a green card working over there. And I was born in America. And then they decided they want to move back to Ireland then in 1991. So already I had this kind of dissected identity was I American or was I Irish? I never really lost my American accent when I when I moved to Ireland. My sister, who was born in Ireland, she actually has a slight American accent just from living with me. So she never, people always ask her, are you, are you American? And she's like, I've never lived there. So it's funny that it's kind of stuck with her. Mm-hmm. But I moved to Ireland and I suddenly was kind of got this culture shock at the age of five and moving to this new country. And my mother has a very large family. So she has like two two brothers and seven sisters, and then mm. I've got like thirty cousins. So <laughs> wow. it was a big a big change from America, where it was just the three of us moving back to Ireland. And it was a very you know it was Ireland you know is would have been considered a very Catholic country, and it's been kind of secularizing since the nineties up until now. But back then it was still quite Catholic. Like homosexuality was only decriminalized in nineteen ninety two, and Divorce was only made legal in 1995. So I guess the first kind of sense of of what I meant to be Irish back then was, um, you know, you learned Irish in school. You learned to speak Irish in school. And this was very, it wasn't taught very well, I would say. And I think most Irish people would agree with that. It's kind of taught like almost like Latin or something as a dead language rather than as a living language. So you're spending time learning all this grammar and you don't kind of develop that love of it that I think you should. I did go to like Irish summer camp, you know, in the Gaeltacht. The Gaeltacht is the Irish speaking area of Ireland. And I kind of became aware of my Irishness, you know, just through being part of all this. And also I would have introduced myself as American when I was little, (laughs) but people didn't really like that. It was kind of a, like a weird thing to do. So my mom, eventually told me maybe you should just stop saying that and so throughout my I you know as I mentioned it was a very Catholic country and when I was in the Gale talked in Irish summer camp one of the kids said they were atheist and I was like what does that mean I'm like I don't believe in God and I was 
and in my head, I was like, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> so I kind of thought about it for a while. I became, we started studying the Reformation in school when I was about 14. And then I learned that Catholics believed in transubstantiation. And nobody had really mentioned that before. They didn't really teach the catechism very well, I guess. I'd done my communion and my confirmation, but nobody had ever mentioned that we literally believed that the, the body and blood, you know, was the, the bread and water. No, sorry, the bread and wine actually became literally blood and, and the body. And I thought that was a very strange thing. That, that was a literal thing. It wasn't just symbolic. And then we also studied Calvinism and all that stuff. And I was like... Then I started to read the Bible, and I was like, then it, fun, it finally just dawned on me that I didn't believe any of this, and it was kind of liberating, but it was kind of a way of being different in a very homogenous society, too. You could be a bit of a rebel, so I think I was one of those annoying who was always questioning everybody and having trying to have debates with everybody about religion, and they didn't enjoy that. And so I went through school, and I just remember hating studying the Irish language. Until eventually when I left school, on the last day, I actually took all my my Irish textbooks and burnt them. And I feel, wow. I feel <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel so much guilt and regret about that. And I think about that, how important it is to me now. Hmm. And that that was a real shame that I didn't, partially I didn't put the work in, but also I just think the structure was not there. I mean, so many Irish people come out of out of school not really know, knowing how to speak the language, you know, and I think it is an effect of colonization as well, where, you know, you consider English is a useful language and learning French or Spanish, that's a useful thing, but there's no use for Irish in people's minds, which mm -hmm. is a, and I find that <clears throat> a real shame. And I wish I could go back and change that. In university, I studied anthropology and history because I was very interested in religion. All throughout my teenage years, I was obsessed with learning about world religions. You know, there was a world religion class in in secondary school. I didn't get into it, but I begged the teacher to allow me to get to into it because I was so interested in the topic. And he was like, fine, fine. And he kind of thought he'd humor me in one class one day. And he was like, well, Michael, maybe you could talk about Satanism. That's the topic for today. And I was like, well, let's start with Albert, uh, Alistair Crowley. And he was like, okay, <laughs> maybe he actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so I went I, um, I went to the university, sorry, National University of Ireland, Maynooth campus. And it's funny because that used to be known as, so it's actually, it's two campuses. There's St. Patrick's College, which is like a, pre, a seminary for priests. And there's the NUI, which is like the secular version. And they're both, both, but they both share the same campus. And so it's funny, it used to be the, the biggest seminary in Europe, but they call it the priest factory because they pumped out so many priests that sent, sent them all over the world. And it's when you go out and you walk down the corridors, you see all the graduating classes. So you go back to 1950 and you see a graduating class of like a hundred priests. And every year, as you're going down the corridor, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller until I think the year I graduated, there was like two people graduating as priests. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was, a, I decided to study history and anthropology at NUI Maynooth. And one of the books that I read there was kind of a, 
a gateway into thinking about land and language, which are two things that are really important to me in my, and when I think about paganism, it's a book called Wisdom Sits in Places by Keith Basto, Bas, by Keith Basso. And I'm just going to read a little bit here from the book because he was an anthropologist working with the Apache, the Western Apache, to try and remap the land using the native Apache words rather than the, the English mm -hmm. words. So trying to make a native map and working with Apache people to find all the true, the true names of all these. So this is the quote. But already on only our second day in the country together, a problem had, problem had come up. For the third time in as many tries, I have mispronounced the Apache name of the boggy swale before us. And Charles, who is weary of repeating it, has a guarded look in his eyes. After botching the name for a fourth time, I acknowledge defeat and attempt to apologize for my flawed linguistic performance. I'm sorry, Charles, I can't get it. I'll work on it later. It's in the machine. It doesn't matter. It matters, Charles says softly to me in English. And then, turning to speak to Morley, he addresses him in Western Apache. And this is what he said. What he's doing isn't right. It's not good. He seems to be in a hurry. Why is he in a hurry? It's disrespectful. Our ancestors made this name. They made it just as it is. They made it for a reason. They spoke it first a long time ago. He's repeating the speech of our ancestors. He doesn't know that. Tell him he's repeating the speech of our ancestors. Mm. And I'm going to just, uh, there's another section here a little, a few pages later. But then unexpectedly in a, one of those courteous turnabouts that Apache people employ to assuage embarrassment and salvage damaged feelings, Charles himself comes to the rescue. With a quick co corroborative grin, he announces he is missing several teeth and that my problem with the place name may be attributable to his lack of dental equipment. Sometimes he says he is hard to understand. His nephew Jason recently told him that and he knows he tends to speak softly. Maybe the combination of too few teeth and too little volume accounts for my failing short. Morley, on the other hand, is not so encumbered. Though shy a, to a tooth or two, he retains the good ones for talking, and because he is not afraid to speak up, except, as everyone knows, in the presence of gargulous women, no one has trouble hearing what he says. Maybe if Morley repeated the place name again, slowly and with ample force, I would get it right. It's worth a try, cousin. And then he, I'm just going to skip forward a bit, and he successfully pronounces the name, which translates as water lies with mud in an open container. Relieved and pleased, I pronounce the name slowly, then I, then a bit more rapidly, and again, as it might be spoken in normal conversation. Charles listens and nods his head in approval. Yes, he says, in Apache. That is how our ancestors made it a long time ago, just as it is to name this place. So this became important to me when thinking about the Irish language because something similar happened in Ireland in mm -hmm. the uh, you know we have all our native Irish place names but in the 1820s the British army's ordnance survey came and decided they were going to make these names pronounceable to English ears and so they kind of 
tore up the native pronunciation and kind of put an English pronunciation on top. So you have these very strange English anglicized versions of Irish place names. So Andangan mm -hmm. is, is probably better known in English as, as Dingle, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really have anything to do with the Irish. And there are plenty of, there are so many examples of this. And I think when you're trying to learn about a landscape and your relation to a ship to a landscape, it is important to know the native place names. Mm -hmm. and it's something that I think about a lot. And I try to learn. One of my favorite writers is named Tim Robinson. And he's, well, he died in 2020, but I had the opportunity to meet him in 2009. And he was an English cartographer, but he moved to the west of Ireland, uh, to the Aran Islands and also to Connemara. Uh, so he kind of moved between those two places. He lived there for more than 30 years. And what he actually did was he went out and mapped the landscape and talked to local people. And he was able to find some of the place names that had been lost over the years that weren't on the official maps. And he was able to help recreate a Gaelic map of those areas. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really kind of religious or spiritual activity to go out onto the land and walk it mm -hmm. and to name it and to name it correctly. And I think that's what I think my pagan path is in a way. Mm -hmm. It's to go and walk the land and learn what, it, what to call it. Because I think language is the most important tool we have in, as pagans. Mm -hmm. So those are, that's kind of when I started to think about this stuff. I've always been interested in folklore. It was actually funny. There was, it started with a video game, one of the Legend of Zelda video games mm -hmm. called Majora's Mask. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. in, the, in the game, they actually have like a mask festival and they, dis they discuss the, uh, the history of the festival. And it was just like, wow, I didn't, uh, I, I ended up making masks with my, with my sister and we kind of pretended to have a little mask festival of our own mm -hmm. that you're, you're familiar with that Yucca? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I played a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but I guess I really started to think about pagan folklore when, when I watched the Wicker Man as a, as a teenager, I was probably at 16 when I watched it and it kind of opened my eyes completely. And we've talked a lot about this in the group. And I think, you know, it's watched as a horror movie in a way. Mm -hmm. But I think I really got into the, the paganism idea of, of paganism as a teenager because of watching The Wicker Man and just the symbolism and the pageantry. And I also just like the idea of these island people turning on the state in the form of of mm -hmm. uh, the policeman. So that's kind of been something I've that I've really enjoyed over the years, watching that every every May as part mm -hmm. of my, my, my annual ritual. So... You know, after university, I, I moved to South Korea to teach English. and But at the same time, I was quite into Buddhism. So um, I had been practicing some Zen Buddhism from about the age of 18. and But not like a, more as just a practice rather than believing in any of it, not believing in reincarnation or anything like that. I just found the ritual of it very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And... I ended up going and doing a temple stay in a in a place at, at a temple um, up in the mountains. And it was very beautiful and really amazing, you know, something you'd see in a movie because the monk, the head monk actually brought us out into a bamboo grove and we sat there meditating just with all, surrounded by bamboo and it was waving in the wind 
and it felt like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or something like that. And one of the powerful events that happened on that trip was doing the Buddhist meal ceremony where we ate in, in the style of a Buddhist monk. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that you do not leave any food behind after you're, after you're finished eating. You've, you eat all the food and then when you wash the bowls and they kind of put the communal water back into the, the, the waste bowl, there should be no, no bit of food, nothing. It should just be clean water that comes out of, uh, after everybody finishes washing all their bowls. Mm-hmm. So we followed all the steps to do that. And, you know, some people really, really weren't into it. They didn't want to do the work of, of being extremely thorough. And there were a few rice, pieces of rice in the water at the end. And the head monk said to us, oh, that will now get, you're, you're going to cause pain to the hungry ghosts because the hungry goats, ghosts have holes in their throats. And when we pour the water outside for the hungry ghosts, the rice particles are going to get stuck in their throats. And a lot of people were like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> but I thought that was beautiful because it doesn't matter. You don't have to. It's a story that has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, I. it made me think about the superstitions that we have. And I don't know if I like superstition like these, calling it that, because I think a lot of these things have purpose. Mm-hmm. And you have to look for the purpose behind them. And the purpose of that story of the hungry ghost story, maybe for him it is about not causing harm to these these spirits, but it's also about not wasting food. Mm-hmm. And I think it it has more power and more meaning, and you remember it more more thoroughly when you have a story like that to back up this this practice. So I think it kind of made me rethink a lot about the kind of folkloric things that I in my in the Irish tradition. And that, mm-hmm. you know, I think about things like f- fairy forts, which are, mm-hmm. you know, the, these are the mm-hmm. archaeological sites that you find around Ireland. Like, I think there's like 60,000 left around the country. These these circular homesteads that made of stone or, or, so, or sod that you find all over the country. And people don't disturb them because they're afraid they'll get very bad luck. The, mm-hmm. if, you, if you disturb the, the fairy fort, the fairy is going to come after you. <laughs> or if you cut or if you cut down a tree a lone tree lone trees that grow in the middle of fields that don't have a, a woodland beside them just singular trees these are known as fairy trees and it's bad luck to cut them down mm-hmm. but i feel like these folk beliefs help preserve the past as well because mm-hmm. you know farmers who don't have this belief they don't have any problem tearing down fairy forts and that kind of thing um they, they just see it as a something in the way of them farming especially in the kind of age of industrial agriculture mm-hmm. yeah so it just made that was when i started to think about how important it is to keep folk belief alive and i've really and i really started this to study irish folk belief after that point and i lived in south korea as i mentioned and i met my wife there she's from iowa and she was also teaching in in south korea and we moved to Vietnam after that. And we lived there for a couple of years. And I might come back to that later, but fast forwarding, we moved to Iowa then mm-hmm. in 2013. And I'm teaching a course in Irish history at a local community college, 
But I always start with this poem by Seamus Heaney hmm. called Bogland. And I just wanted to read two extracts from it. So the first stanza is, We have no prairies to slice a big sun at evening. Everywhere the eye concedes to encrouching. And then moving downwards, our pioneers keep striking inwards and downwards. Every layer they strip, they, every layer they strip seems camped on before. So I, I started with that, initially kind of trying to, as it was almost like a gateway for my students to kind of look at their, look at Iowa with its historic prairies which don't really exist anymore. It's all farmland. There's very little prairie land left. I think maybe 2% of the state is prairie. Mm-hmm. But that idea, that idea of our pioneers strike downwards. And I've been thinking about that a lot as well, that that's kind of a, a colonial look at the land because this land, the American land, has, is just as camped on mm-hmm. as Ireland. Mm-hmm. And I've been kind of experiencing that more and more. I have a friend who's an archaeologist here and just hearing them talk about the kinds of finds that they have. You know, we lived in a town where there was a Native American fishing weir that was a couple of hundred years old. You could kind of see the remains, but it mostly washed away by the time we had moved there. But I did see an old postcard of it from the 70s and you could see it very clearly. And so just make, and then we always, it's become a ritual every, every autumn we go up to northeast Iowa to these to these effigy mounds, which are some Native American mounds up there on a bluff just overlooking the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And that's really amazing to look at that and experience and experience that. And you know, I'd love to go back. Unfortunately, Seamus Heaney died more than ten years ago now, but I'd love to go back and ask him if he would consider rewriting that line. You know, because. This land is just as it camped on. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to trying to make sense of that and what it means as an Irish person living in America. Because mm-hmm. we Irish people are victims of col- colonialism. But mm-hmm. Irish people, when they moved to America, they just became white as well and had the same colonial attitudes as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to kind of, but you know, there's, there's, there's kind of stories of reciprocation as well, where during the famine, the Irish famine, the, I think, I believe it was the Choctaw, they sent famine relief to the, to Ireland, even though they didn't have much themselves, they still saw this, um, this people in need across the water and they sent money to help. And, you know, there's that connection between the Choctaw Nation and the Irish has continued to this day. But I am just trying to figure out what it means to be an Irish person and a pagan living in this country. And that's kind of where I where I am right now. Mm-hmm. But to get back to how I got into Ethiopaganism, I mentioned earlier that I was really into the Wicker Man. And I found this group called Folk Horror Revival on Facebook and somebody one day mentioned that there was this group called Ethiopaganism. And so I decided to join and I found a lot of like-minded people there. And I've been kind of involved in the community from, for, I think that was maybe 2018. Mm -hmm. And I've been involved in the community since then. 
and maybe on a, a bigger, I've been much more involved since COVID started. Mm-hmm. And we started doing our Saturday mixers. Um, and I think I've made maybe 90% of those. Something like and we've been, that. Yeah. Think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been doing that for the last three years and it's just been going. It's a really amazing. It's one of the highlights of my week to spend time with, with other people in that in that hour and 45 minutes that we spend every Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really agree with you. That's uh, It's a highlight of my week as well. Such warm, thoughtful people and so diverse and living in so many different places. It's, uh, yeah, it's just a really good thing to do on a Saturday morning for me. And I think we'll probably get into this more a little bit later, but the idea of creating human connection and community building, I know is really important to you and it's really important to me too. I think there have been other sort of naturalistic pagan traditions that have been created by people, but they just kind of plunk them on the internet and let them sit. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, it that would be fine if I were just going to do this by myself. But when other people started saying, I like this, I want to do this too. To me, that meant well, then we should all do it together, right? Let's mm-hmm. let's build a community and support one another in doing this. And so the Saturday mixers, when we when COVID started, I think, I mean, to be honest, COVID did some great things for the Ethiopian community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of accidentally, but that's that's well, that's the silver linings, the right? Yeah. That's one of the things we, you know, life goes on. We have to find the 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 benefits and the good things, even in the challenging times. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I'm just thinking back to when we started. So it's kind of, we have maybe six or seven regulars who come to every meeting maybe. And then we have other people who join now and then, mm-hmm. right. but I'm just trying to think back to the first meeting. I think we, that's when the idea of doing virtual ritual began as well. In that right. first meeting, right, and we were trying to figure out how to do it. Was that was the first meeting before COVID, or was it as a response to COVID? You know, honestly, I don't remember. I think it must have been in response to COVID because everybody was shut in, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, everybody was kind of starving for human contact. I think the first one may have been March or April, twenty twenty. Yeah. Okay, so, so right there at the beginning. Yeah, right at the beginning, yeah. And I think, I remember in the first meeting, we were talking about ritual ideas, and I think the first suggestion I came up with was, was like, I'd love to somebody do like a, describe what an Ethiopian temple might look like. Oh, yeah. Mm. yeah. And I left, and I think you were recording the meetings at that time, but we don't record them anymore just so people can right. feel f- free to be themselves and not have a recorded recording mm-hmm. of themselves out there. Right. <laughs> but I know that I think James, who you interviewed recently, mm-hmm. he, he was listening to that one, I believe, and he came the next week and actually had prepared a guided meditation of what an Ethiopian temple would be like to him. Mm-hmm. And it was a walk through nature. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the first, our first online ritual together yeah i remember that now yeah and it's been it's really been a journey trying to figure out how how can you do these ritual things over a a video conferencing platform 
in a way that makes everybody feel like they're participating and engaged, right? So that there's a, a transformation of consciousness. But I think we've done pretty well, to be honest. I mean, some of the rituals that we've done have been really quite moving. Yeah. And I think uh, the ritual framework that you've worked out translates very well to a Zoom conference as well. I don't know if maybe if you wanted to describe that, what the usual Ethiopian ritual would look like. Sure. We've we've talked about this before. Uh, the, the, the ritual structure that I proposed in my book is basically a, a five-step process where the first is arrival, which is sort of transitioning into the ritual state of mind from the ordinary state of mind. And then the invocation of qualities that are a part that we'd like to be a part of the ritual with us, which is sort of the equivalent in Wicca or other pagan traditions of invoking spirits or gods or what have you, ancestors, what have you. And then the main working of the ritual, which varies depending on what the purpose of the ritual is, but it can be, well, we've done lots of different kinds of things. We've braided ribbons and then tied knots tied magical knots in them we've made sigils we've we've done just lots of different kinds of things and then gratitude expressions of gratitude for the things that we're grateful for and then finally benediction which is sort of the closing of the ritual and a declaration that we're moving back into ordinary time so how does that look in in a a meeting like a zoom meeting in a digital format Michael, you want to take that one or should I? So, you know, you have maybe, I think usually when we have a ritual, more people attend that. Mm-hmm. And so we might have 12 people there. And Is this cameras you know, on? Uh, cameras on. Well, it's optional. Okay. Yeah. If you don't feel comfortable having your camera on, that's completely fine. And you don't even have to speak. We do encourage people just to, you know, leave a message in the chat. So you can just listen in. You can engage as much or as little as you want. And you, you, so uh, you, we have all the people on in the conference and maybe we'll try and get some more of the senses involved as well. So sometimes we'll light candles and everybody will have a candle in front of them. I do know for, for some of our Samhain rituals, Mark, you've used two cameras where you, yes. you aim one camera at maybe a focus. Like, what's one of the examples of that that you... Well, we did that both at Samhain and at Yule. So both the Hallows ritual and the Yule ritual, where I would create a focus or altar setup with thematic and symbolic things relating to the season. And then I would point, I would log in to Zoom with my phone and point my phone at that. And then, and then I'd log in separately on my laptop for myself as a person and then i could spotlight the focus so that it's kind of the centerpiece of what everybody experiences on their screen mm. and sets the atmosphere yeah so just a virtual focus mm-hmm. that everybody can everybody can virtually gather around mm-hmm. yeah and i think we've also used a pinterest board in the past as well mm-hmm. for people i think it was at Samhain again we had that pinterest board where people could put up notes about their ancestors or loved ones that they were that's correct isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. or yeah. pictures of people that had passed recently or mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so yeah there's a lot of <clears throat> digital space that you can use for this ritual we also try not to 
involve too many props as well because we want to make it as easy as possible for people of all abilities and just if you don't have the space for something for a large prop or if you don't want to make a lot of noise you know we're not going to have you using chimes or things like that so we try and make it as easy as possible sometimes we do invite you to, to bring some food to eat as well because you know a lot of these are feasting rituals so we maybe if you feel comfortable bringing some refreshments you might want to do that and just uh, have a friendly meal with people online for example we're actually going to start doing i'm going to be leading full moon meals every month on the on the, so the first one's going to be december 7th and i'll post post about that on discord and i think mark will post about that in the facebook group yes yeah and so the idea is everybody just comes uh joins the zoom meeting and everybody should have their meal whether you're whether that's lunch or if you're in a different time zone maybe there'll be dinner or maybe it's just a snack and then we'll spend a minute just thinking about the provenance of the food and then we'll eat it and maybe people can talk about the food that they're eating and what it means to them and i'm hoping to make that a monthly event that we meet every full moon to share a meal together That sounds so, great. I, I I really I have pagan guilt over how little I pay attention to the full moon. I'm I'm always I'm always aware of what phase the moon is in, but I I don't do a lot in the way of observances of the phases of the moon. And so I'm excited to have this added in to something that I can attend. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as you can see from that format, it's very simple. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Again, you, if if people listening would like to attend as well, there's no obligation to keep your your camera on. There's no obligation to speak. You just you can just listen in, and just mm -hmm. feel part of the part of the community that way. Mm -hmm. So, in the mixers, sometimes ritual. Are there discussions, or what else do the mixers do? Usually, the mixer is kind of a free form thing. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe we'll have a, a, a topic sometimes, um, but usually people just come and uh, do a check-in and talk about how they're how they're getting on that week. And if there's anything they want to discuss, we just open it up to that. Mm -hmm. uh, depending on the size of the turnout, we may require some kind of etiquette stuff. So if there are a lot of people and we don't want people to chat it down or have spoken over, so we'll ask people to raise their hands if they want to speak. That's That really is only when there's a lot of people. And mm -hmm. and often I, I know I'm somebody who likes to talk, so it's a, it, it, I think raising hands also gives people who are less confident, or I'm sorry, not less confident, just not at, don't feel like interrupting. It gives them an opportunity to, to have their say as well mm -hmm. and be called on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really good that we've implemented that. It, it's, mm -hmm. it helps. I think one of the really cool rituals we had recently was for like the uh, autumnal harvest. So mm -hmm. that was, when was that? That was in September, in September. or October? Mm -hmm. In September. September. Yeah. 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 So that we were trying, I mean, usually it's, you could do some kind of harvest related ritual. And I think we've done that in the past, but I have a book called Celebrating Irish Festivals by Ruth Marshall. And this is my go-to book for, for, for ritual ideas. And this is, and I like to take kind of some of the traditional holidays and maybe just 
steal from them. <laughs> so Michaelmas is is the holiday around that time in Ireland. It's a Christian holiday, but it's also it's so a it's kind we're of older than yeah the, the, yeah. the Christians yeah. took from the older practices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's about Saint Michael, and he's known for slaying a dragon, as mm -hmm. just as Saint George was known for slaying a dragon. But I thought, well. Let's turn this on this head and let's celebrate our inner dragons. Let's bring our dragons to life. So it was the whole ritual was about dragons. And we actually drew dragons, drew our inner dragons and shared them, talked about what they were. And kind of, we were feeding our inner dragons so that they could warm us throughout the coming winter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as well as watching the Homestar Runner Trogdor the Burninator video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which you, you have to do if you've got dragons as a theme. It's just too funny to avoid. Yeah. That's an old Flash cartoon from the early 2000s uh, that was pretty popular. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Trogdor the Burninator. Google it. And uh, in fact, I did, a, I did the hot chip challenge as part of that ritual as well. That's right. So, yeah. <laughs> where I ate a, a very, very hot tortilla chip on camera and it was it was painful but i'm sure it may, i don't know if it entertained other people but it was oh it was yeah fun. <laughs> oh yeah it was fun <laughs> so yeah they're like i mean these rituals aren't all they're they're fun and they're kind of silly and goofy and but i mean i thought at the same time they're very meaningful because people really opened up in that one yeah and and shared some really prof profound truths and that was one of my favorites, actually. And I hope we yeah. do another another dragon-invoking ritual in the future. <laughs> Maybe in the spring. Yeah. To do it at, at both of the equinoxes. Mm -hmm. um, so you've joined the Aethiopagan Society Council, which is mm -hmm. great. Thank you so much for your, your volunteering and your effort. What do you think about the future? How do you... How do you see where this community is going and what would you like to see? What's what's your perspective on that? Yeah, so just before I discovered the Athew Pagan Facebook group, I had attended a local CUPS meeting. So that's the Covenant of Unitarian Universalist Pagans. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a tarot reading workshop. And, you know, I was in, I, I like kind of using these kind of rituals just for their beauty and but not for not not seeing anything supernatural in them i was it was amazing then to find a group that was interested in these kind of things too but without the, they weren't credulous so i guess what i'm hoping for is that as we as we kind of find more people who are are, are aligned with us maybe we can have more in-person experiences mm -hmm. that was one of the great the great highlights of of last year was attending the Suntree retreat and meeting all, all these amazing people in real life and being able to spend time together in real life. And I hope that as we kind of, as the word gets out about this group, more and more of us can meet in person or as we are able to. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that's what I really hope for the future that you're finding your, your people that people, we are we are being able to get these local groups together and then spend time on these important days of the year. And I believe the Chicago Athew Pagan Group was able to do that not too long ago. And I know, Mark, your local 
group meets quite regularly as well we we meet for the for the eight holidays for the mm-hmm. eight sabbaths so yeah we're going to get together on the 18th of december and burn a fire in the fire pit and do a, a ritual and enjoy food and drink with one another and yeah it's a it's a really good feeling that mm-hmm that feeling of getting together is just you can't replace it with online connection mm-hmm. but online connection is still really good so that's why that's why we continue to do the mixers every saturday and glenn gordon has also been organizing a mixer on thursday evenings well evenings if you're in the americas and yeah there's just there's there's a, a bunch of different opportunities to plug in and it's always great to see somebody new. Yeah, I think that would be another hope as well that, you know, if you've been on the fence about coming to a mix, I hope that what we've described today maybe entices you to come along, you know, that there's no expectations and you can you can share, you can just sit in the background and watch or you can participate. Mm-hmm. There's no expectations and it's just a nice way to, to connect with people. So, so yeah. how, how would somebody join in? They find the, the link on the Facebook Discord group. That's right. Yeah. So I think, Mark, you post it regularly on the Facebook group and it's also yes, posted on the Discord right. as well. So and it's the same time every Saturday. So it's at 12.15 p.m. Central for me. So and that's like 11.15 for you, Mark? On the, no, it's 11.15 right? for Yucca. Yeah, oh, okay. It's 10.15 for me. Oh, okay. Okay. So 1.15 yeah. for Eastern then. One. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Mm. And, and then, it's always the same time. And I think we've I think we've only missed one week, maybe, in the last three years. Yeah, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. I wasn't available and I couldn't find somebody else to host or something mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, it's been very consistent. And I see no reason to think it isn't going to keep being consistent. <laughs> but yeah, we, you know, we welcome new people. And if you're not in the Americas, that's fine, too. We've got a couple of Dutch people that come in all the time. There's a an Austrian woman who lives in Helsinki who participates. Okay, so it's going to be the E8, 9-ish kind of for Europe. I think yeah. so, yeah. 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 We've even had on the Thursday night mixer, we've even had Australians join occasionally right. too. So right. <laughs> yeah. that sounds like that'd be early for them then, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Getting up in the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'd, I'd love for some of the listeners to come and join us on one of the mixers and because uh, you know you bring new ideas and i think we're always looking for new ritual ideas mm-hmm. that kind of bring meaning to our lives and to everybody else's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah because that's uh, i mean that's what we're doing right we're we're create we're it's a creative process for us we've got these sort of frameworks like the wheel of the year and the, the ritual format that I laid out, although people can use other ritual formats too, that's fine. Um, but it's it's an ongoing process of creation and of taking some old traditions and folding them in where they fit, but creating new stuff as well. One of the innovations that, we, that we've been doing for the past year or so is if people want to be done with something, if they want to be finished with something in their life they can write it in the chat and then i take the chat file and i print it on my printer and i take it and i burn it in my cauldron (laughs) so it is actually being burnt physically but it just 
takes a little bit of technical processing before that happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's those kinds of innovations that are really useful for online rituals. And boy, if you have new ideas about things we can do for online rituals, I, I would love to hear them. So thank you so much for sharing your story and your visions of the future with us. Uh, this has been, it's, it's really been beautiful to hear and to get that insight. Thank you, Michael. Well, thank you for having me on. Yeah. It's been delightful hearing from you. And, and I, I got to say, I, I feel like our community is very lucky. You've been exploring religion and, and folklore and ritual for a long time in a lot of different frameworks. And I feel really fortunate that you've landed with us because I like you. So <laughs> well, thanks very much. I like you, too. OK, folks, that'll be all for this week. And as always, we'll have another episode for you next week on the wonder science-based paganism. Have a great week. Thanks, everybody.